Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Rodeo on the Horn podcast. We are two away from number 100, which I guess is considered a milestone, although, you know, just being able to talk with my co-host Ryan every week is a milestone for me. Ryan, how are you doing today? You know, I'm doing great today, Donnie. Thank you for the kind words. I mean, happy belated birthday to you as well, to all of our listeners. It was Donnie's birthday yesterday. So obviously a special day in, in the life of, of Mr. Burns there. So obviously super thrilled. We got sports to talk about, Donnie. I can't complain. So let's get into it. Yeah. And, you know, it's really interesting because we are at the time of year where usually both the NHL and NBA have the playoffs going on at the same time. It's kind of a disaster for scheduling. I think uh, I remember talking about last year how there were like nine or ten playoff games on the same day. And we were just saying like, ah. Like, like you can only do so much to keep up. But uh, this year we have a little bit of uh, a different scenario, which is, is going to be interesting and probably good for the viewership. Uh, NHL regular season still going on, NBA in full swing in the first round of the playoffs. But I guess we can start off with the NHL, uh, specifically the Western Conference race. Uh, as you know, we've noted, the East has been pretty much locked up for, for weeks now. We've known who's going to make the plus, which is sad. It's, it's a very unfortunate reality. Um, but, you know, the only eight teams make it. It makes sense. However, out West, we have one of the more interesting races, I would say, that we've seen at the end of the year in the playoffs, given the teams that are involved. So currently at the top of the wild card, we have the Nashville Predators, who I would say look semi-safe, although tough schedule playing Tampa, Minnesota, Calgary, Colorado, and then Arizona. Um, but then you have teams like Dallas, who have 91 points two points up on Vegas at 89, same amount of games played, and then two more points up on Vancouver there. It's going to be really interesting to me to see what we end up getting out of, as you mentioned before the podcast, but Tuesday we have a game between Dallas and Vegas, which is uh, usually it doesn't end up this nicely. At the end of the year, it's you just you know pound on teams that are out of the playoffs, see what you can do. But we actually have a matchup, which if there's any game that has more meaning, this is the one game of the year that means more than anything else, right? Like. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it seemed to me like Dallas was kind of, kind of, you know, get this thing in and, you know, they wouldn't have too many issues, but Vegas has really kind of made it interesting, which obviously makes for a lot of fun since it sure seems like they kind of have the more firepower of these teams getting in the wildcard positions in the West. But it is kind of interesting because you look at what Dallas has been able to do this month. You know, they won a couple of big home games earlier this month. You know, they beat Tampa at home in a, in a really big game, but had a really tough trip out to Western Canada, uh, recently losing to Vancouver, Edmonton and Calgary, all three of them, you know, really kind of puts them in a, in a tough spot. A lot of those games in hand that they had, of course, on Vegas. Now those go away when you lose them, of course. So the door has been opened a little bit for Vegas and it's even kind of interesting Vancouver, not technically eliminated yet. They're still kind of hanging around, but still seems like kind of a long shot that, uh, they would be able to get in. So it seems like Dallas and Vegas are really going to kind of be duking it out for that last spot. And yeah, given that they have that head to head game coming up, that should be, um, you know, as, as, big a game as we've seen in the regular season you know and I think this is interesting too because usually we don't have two teams that I would say have underperformed this year I think it's pretty uh, you can pretty much rationalize Dallas as being an underperforming team given the fact that you know we may talk about this more frequently than we should but Dallas made they, they went all the way two years ago they may not have won but you know making that type of run regardless of the situation it means you should be good for the next couple of years and Vegas who 
has consistently been a a playoff. I don't know, like a behemoth almost. One of those teams that you're scared to play in the playoffs, given this this just sheer firepower and star power they have. Um, has maybe been the most underwhelming team in hockey this year. Obviously, injuries uh, play a part, but like even having Jack Eichel on the team and, and having what I, I would say is a primarily healthy roster right now, um, you know, given the fact that, as I said, Eichel's playing, you just got Alec Martinez back, Max Pacioretty is playing, Mark Stone is playing, Shea Theodore's here, even Robin Lehner um, has played, although injury issues have really been a little bit concerning there. Um, we're at the point where this is like almost like a make or break year for both of these teams, given the fact that let's say a team like Vegas doesn't make the playoffs, then they're sitting there like, oh, we're really looking bad for our future, given the, the cap situation. And Dallas, a team that, you know, they're Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn are not getting any younger. And these are the two guys that you you would choose to rely on, I think, when you're talking from the stars standpoint. And neither of them have really done enough to be like, oh, like this is this is playoff hockey. Like obviously Joe Pavelski, Jason Robertson have been great, but like these are two teams that are in a really bad position long term, and it's not getting any better if you miss the playoffs, right? Yeah, I and especially kind of on the the Vegas side, I think it's interesting because you did say like they're a team right up against the cap. They've got a lot of expensive contracts, you know, on the books locked up. You know, guys like Petrangelo, Eichel, Stone, all guys they've acquired that, you know, have pretty sizable cap hits. They also extended Zach Whitecloud already, who's been pretty good for them on the back end. His contract will be going up. So they'll be, you know, unfortunately losing some of their depth. That's always kind of uh, some of the casualty that you'll get at the end of the season. You know, a guy like Nicholas Waz, you know, restricted free agent at the end of the year. Matias Yanmark's been pretty good for him since they acquired him from the Blackhawks last season. So it sure seems like, you know, it's going to be tough for them to keep around some of those guys. And over the next couple of years, they will start to lose some some of that depth uh, that they've been able to, you know, really kind of feast on lately. So definitely an important year for Vegas to, you know, at least see if they can make it interesting, get in the playoffs. Obviously if they get that second wildcard spot, they're able to jump Dallas. That would make for a really fun first round match with the avalanche, which, you know, certainly would seem to favor the avalanche. I think they were definitely the favorite in that conference in the West for sure, but Vegas should definitely be able to put up a good fight, uh, especially since they've been in playoff hockey mode, you know, the last month or two, you could even argue. So they're definitely going to be, uh, you know, ready to, go and already kind of have turned that gear up a little bit and then kind of on the Dallas side you know I always kind of thought their roster was pretty good you know they haven't necessarily had the the season they were kind of hoping but I think they've gotten some good goaltending with Jake Ottinger and uh, some of their forwards have, have kind of stepped up for them uh, you know Jason Robertson Joe Pavelski have been pretty good it hasn't even been necessarily Ben and Sagan that have carried the way even though they've been good players for sure so it's been interesting to follow the uh, the West and yeah as you also kind of outlined Nashville there's a chance that they could miss just given they have a tough schedule but they certainly have put themselves in a position where, you know, they just kind of have to win one of uh, one or two of their, their final five games to be able to kind of secure that spot. Yeah. And if you want to look at the money puck playoff odds, they have Nashville at 97%, the Kings just behind them at 96. And then you drop down to the three remaining teams with Dallas at 72%, Vegas at 33%, and Vancouver at a solid 1.8%. Um, it is interesting to look at, however, and you brought up a good point with Dallas dropping three games on the road against three teams that are just pretty much right in there with them. Obviously Calgary has kind of run away with things a little bit in their division. However, uh, Vancouver and Edmonton, both, I guess you could say are still like in the hunt. You think Edmonton's pretty much clinched at this point, but it's really interesting to look back at Dallas's like, you know, the last little stretch here, they've lost seven of 11, which is really not ideal in April. And just in, in general, like 
a loss to a team like Seattle on Saturday would pretty much doom them, or at least put them in a really tough situation where you, you make the Vegas game a, Oh, you know, it's okay. Whatever to a, a must win hockey game. And you don't want to be playing must win hockey games, the end of April, uh, just before the playoffs start. If you're a Dallas stars fan, do you have any, like, you have to be thinking the worst, right? You have to be in negative sadness mode, correct? I mean, yeah, the the struggles that they've had lately, you know, they've had certainly some some winnable games. You think about that Vancouver game for sure, um, you know, it would be one they would kind of want to have back. But, you know, as it stands now, they've, uh, you know, still got a lead in the, in the standings by two points with the same amount of games in hand. Uh, you know, everything's right in front of them. They know they've probably got to win that game head-to-head against Vegas, and they should be able to kind of lock things up, I would think. If, if Vegas loses that one, they would pretty much be toast, I would say. So, um, you know, everything's still in front of Dallas. It, you know, it hasn't been pretty. They've really kind of been crawling to the finish line here, but, um, you know, I think they still kind of have to approach it. Hey, we've still got things in front of us and, and have a chance to get in. Yeah, and I think we can flip this over to the Eastern Conference, which is maybe not as in- interesting, exciting, or fun, as mentioned before. However, uh, a division like the Atlantic is about as crazy as we've ever seen in terms of just high production, high point total teams. So we have Florida at 118, which, you know, should probably end up winning being the president's trophy team. I, you, who knows with Colorado? Um, but then you have a team like Toronto at 108, Tampa at 102, and then the Metro Carolina and the Rangers are both tied at 108, which is, you know, surprising. Uh, I don't think that I would have said the Rangers would have been able to keep up with Carolina a month yeah. or two ago. And then uh, Pittsburgh in the third spot. But the wild card we have currently would be Boston at 99 and Washington at 97 points. Uh, so we would be looking at maybe like a, a Florida versus Washington first round. Uh, whoever wins the Metro playing Boston, Toronto, Tampa. It's got to be exciting, right? Like these are go- we're going to have some of the more, you know, it's unfortunate given the fact that the league is a little bit not like maybe not as strong as we've seen in years prior. The East is boasting like eight of the top 12 teams in hockey or top 11 teams in hockey, which is, you know, maybe not out of the question um, year after year, but uh, just in general, do you see any, is there any like matchup you would want if you're a number one seed in the East? Do you want a team like Boston or do you want a team like Washington in the first round? Because honestly, it's like, how do you even rationalize that? Yeah, I feel like these teams are are pretty evenly matched overall. You know, I don't know if there's necessarily like Florida's like rooting for, you know, Boston to lose so they can tank and play them instead of Washington. I mean, I think they're all pretty solid teams, to be honest. Um, I think really kind of the only thing I, I, that is a, a current matchup we're seeing would actually be Toronto and Tampa Bay as the two, three in the Atlantic. And it's kind of interesting because Toronto is, you know, the two seed there would get home ice in that series but you know Tampa Bay just beat them eight to one in a head-to-head matchup you know I, I think there's a lot to like with Tampa Bay you know getting into the playoffs having that playoff experience they're kind of in a position where it's like they kind of realize that you know they're in it for the Stanley Cup playoffs that yeah you know winning the the president's trophy if, if Florida does end up winning that is great and all but you know how you play gearing up for the playoffs is uh, obviously what it what it kind of comes down to and, and what they're after so Tampa Bay just kind of hanging in there as the uh, three seed and there's even still potential that Boston could pass them and, and they'd wind up in a wild card spot so I think Tampa Bay is still kind of the the wild card in there whereas like everyone's trying to just avoid playing them uh, more so than anyone's rooting for any matchup to happen. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to look at. Like, it's hard to pick against the team with home ice advantage in the playoffs, but I would say with all the woes that Toronto has had in the playoffs the last couple, I mean, it's like been like a decade and a half now. Um, I, I don't think they've won a playoff series in quite a long time. And then you have a team like Tampa who, 
I don't care how many points they have. I don't care who's on the team. I don't care who's coaching. I don't care who the GM is. Tampa is going to be dangerous. And a first round loss would be a total, totally underwhelming um, reality for them. Just flipping it over for a second uh, at the top of the Metro, as mentioned before, Carolina and the Rangers, both at 108, whoever wins the division will end up playing what I would assume would be Boston in the first round from the looks of things. Uh, just in general, is there any positive to a Metro team not having to play another Metro team in the first round? Because from my perspective, it's like I've watched the Rangers get absolutely dominated and beat up by a team like Carolina. And I've also seen them dominate a team like Carolina. There's nothing to really grow off of. Like you, you can't take any of that. And like they, they beat Carolina in a game where they got outshot by like 42. And there's not something, there's nothing you can build off of that. So it's like, if you're a team like Carolina, you win the Metro and you end up playing Boston the first round. Is that maybe the best matchup possible for you, given the fact that you can just stay out of the division for a little bit? Yeah, I think it's interesting because kind of on that note, like one of the reasons the NHL kind of went to this format is to, you know, keep teams that are familiar with each other playing against each other. So maybe there could be kind of that inherent value where it's like, oh, we're playing someone out of our division where we still have some familiarity, but we know how important matchups are once we get into the Stanley Cup playoffs, especially in a series, you know, how you're matching up against their top line with whatever deep air you're sending out, whatever forward group is essential. So, you know, teams that have so much familiarity against each other that play in division, you know, they may already kind of have a little bit more kind of research or scouting or an idea of how they want to match up so if you get a situation where you know you win your division and you're able to play a wild card team that's from the other division in your conference then maybe there is a little bit of value there but I think just with given how balanced the east is you know we've been talking about it all year Donnie like we know who these eight teams are that are getting the playoffs like you know you wish every year it was kind of this discrepancy where it's like oh there's clearly eight teams that are good enough to make the playoffs and the rest of the teams are not making it uh you know it, it doesn't always work out this perfectly but it certainly does this year in the east where i think they're all kind of clearly clumped up as, as that top eight group so um i don't necessarily know if there's a huge advantage to it but i guess that's just kind of what i think about there when it just comes to matchups and and how you're able to uh control things in the playoffs yeah i definitely agree with you and i think it's interesting because uh, like a team like toronto has played tampa a thousand times obviously they've played so so frequently and it still seems like they can't figure out how to win these games consistently. And obviously it's easier said than done beating teams in the division. Uh, but you go from beating a Tampa team six, two earlier in the month to losing eight, one uh, with the same personnel on the ice. And it really just, if you're coaching the Leafs or you're a video coach in the Leafs, you gotta be sitting there like, what can I do to help really make the difference here? Because there has been no difference made. Like everything's just been such a shit show. Yeah, I think the stereotype with the Leafs is that they don't play any defense. And unfortunately, that's the case again this year. They've allowed more goals than any other team in a playoff spot right now. So, like, we know how they just kind of constructed their roster. They kind of, you know, they they kind of went in full steam ahead. We're going to lock up these four star forwards we have, and we're just going to kind of feast and famine. Sure, we're going to beat up on some teams because we're going to just straight up outscore them. But uh, I know they've done a better job, I think, recently at acquiring a little bit more defense help. But still, it's still kind of that narrative to me where, hey, Toronto, we're still just kind of worried about you letting up all these high danger chances and it doesn't matter who's in net you know they had freddie anderson and now he's kicking ass with carolina a really good structure around him we've seen jack campbell play good in stretches but it just seems like they allow too many high quality chances that once we do get into the stanley cup playoffs it's a different animal we know that yeah you know that can sometimes kind of burn you and that's definitely been the case for toronto in uh, recent years in the playoffs yeah and it's interesting before we move on to uh greater pastures in the nba um 
Jack Campbell was at like a 930, 935 for most of the year or a good chunk of the year at the start of the year. And now he's down to like barely a 910. And Shalgren, who was in last night for the beating that he took, is an 882 backup goaltender now. Um, it, usually you would say, oh, maybe the goaltending's not great. But I, I think you bring up a good point saying like the defense is really bad. The defense is very mediocre. And as much as you'd like to say, oh, like it's great that we have Mark Giordano now, like <laughs> as adding a 38 39 year old defenseman to a, a core of defensemen who don't play defense like Morgan Riley I would say is more of an offensive defenseman um, at least how he has developed himself um, more of a power play guy rather than you know what you're looking for and TJ Brody's always been kind of like a, oh I'm gonna I'll add some assists in here I'll play a okay defense yada 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 but we're at a point where if you're playing Tampa Bay in the first round you got to be a little bit better and it looks like if that is, if there's any indication from last night's game, it's going to be a real mess for them. Yeah, just seems like that's kind of the the problem they always run into. And like I said, I mean, yeah, Mark Giordano, you know, a little bit better ad when they traded for Muzzin. I thought that was good when they signed TJ Brody. I thought that was solid. You know, they've been bringing up Tim Lilligren. Like they're trying. I can see Kyle Dubas. He, he is well aware. Like, hey, we need to fix this defense, but we still just have kind of yet to see a, a time where the Leafs have really been able to kind of play shut down uh, defense. And I think also part of that uh, on that note too is also like maybe it's their forward group. Maybe they need to be a little bit more defensively responsible. Like we know how great. Matthews and Tavares are in terms of their scoring ability but uh you know I, I sometimes wonder you know they lost a guy like Nazem Kadri who was so known for out, outstanding he was a defense and obviously he's been such a good scorer for Colorado before he got injured but um you know you wonder if maybe the forwards uh they need to start you know getting a little bit guys who are a little bit more defensively responsible uh, especially in, the, in their bottom six I could say um as just kind of touching on the matchups thing uh if you have forwards that are you know able to help out that decor a little bit you could maybe start to see things but they're they're trying like I said a Kyle Dubas, I can see the vision. He's trying to fix that defense, but you know, I, I just, uh, I'm still skeptical that they're quite there yet. And, and they would be able to take down a team like Tampa in the first round, which is who they're currently matched up with. Yeah. I think that's very reasonable. And it'll be interesting to see uh, just where they end up. Obviously they should have home ice for the first round, but after that, it could be really dicey with everybody else being just maybe like a smidge better than Toronto is even with the great performance we've had this year. Uh, I think we can shift this over to the NBA. We have playoffs. Um, usually, as I said before, the NBA and NHL playoffs are going on at the same time. So there's like an overload of sports. Whereas now, you know, we're kind of at the end stretch of the NHL season. However, the NBA has been in the playoffs for about a week now. Um, and I guess we can start off with the Eastern Conference. Not a whole lot of competition outside of Milwaukee, Chicago, tied 1-1. We have Miami up 2-0 on Atlanta. Philly's up 3-0 on Toronto, which was a series that I think pundits in general were saying oh this could be close like this is a good matchup for Toronto um, their stars should be able to hang and that has not been the case um, in terms of winning games and then Boston Brooklyn which I think we were both a little bit more bullish on Brooklyn's ability to hang around in the series obviously you can't really pick and choose through a, a series like Boston Brooklyn given the fact that you know we watched game one end on a very interesting like layup spinning layup at the yeah. buzzer, which doesn't usually happen. Usually the, the three pointer is taken and, you know, bang. Um, instead you get a layup at whatever wide works, open right? layup too. Yeah. He, he did get wide open uh, spinning off of Kyrie Irving, unfortunate yep. for, you know, Nets fans, Nets faithful. And then game two did not go very well either. We saw Kevin Durant shoot four of 17, which is very, very, uncharacteristic I would say for Kevin Durant who feasts in the playoffs and then Kyrie Irving four of 13 not great um just in general 
before we get to, you know, your Chicago Bulls, a, a series that I think both of us were like, ah, you know, maybe not, maybe not going to be great. Um, has anything really stood out to you in the East that's been super surprising? Like, obviously, I think we all expected Miami to do pretty well against Atlanta. Atlanta is still a young team, uh, pretty much juiced up by Trey Young. Not a bad thing. You know, you, you need to make the playoffs to get better. Uh, and then I, I think it's pretty clear that Philly is a feast or famine, you know, going to be a playoff monster as long as those guys produce. And it's like we saw um, Wednesday night, Joel Embiid overtime. You know, he, he was built different. Has anything in the Eastern Conference really surprised you at all? Yeah, I think it's been uh, fun to watch. I definitely think that Brooklyn will be able to grab a couple of games in that series they have with Boston. Yeah, Boston is currently up 2-0, but um, there's been some good competitive basketball, as you talked about game one there. So I definitely think that could, I could see that series going, you know, six or seven. And I think Brooklyn should be able to win some games on their home court. But um, yeah, in terms of the other series, you know, uh, Miami's definitely looked really good. And, um, you know, that uh, the other one with uh, Philadelphia as well has definitely been playing pretty good against Toronto, which, uh, you know, those teams would be matching up in the second round between Philadelphia and Miami and I think that's a pretty even series um, you know obviously not trying not to get too ahead of ourselves but if things going keep going as they are I think that a Miami Philadelphia series would be a really competitive one and I think it's just been fun overall to, to kind of follow the NBA playoffs like sometimes you know round one we're like not that interested because we're you know everything's kind of going as planned and so far I guess the higher seeds have been winning but I still feel like there's been some good competitive basketball I feel like the East has good competitive balance that you know the difference between a team like Miami and Philadelphia, the ones and the four um, is really not all that significant. So I think that sets up for uh, a lot of good basketball that we should be seeing in the next couple of rounds uh, in the East. Yeah. And just touch in on your Chicago Bulls, a team that played Milwaukee extremely poorly throughout the season, did not win a, a regular season game, if I'm not right. mistaken there, um, which is, is not a very exciting reality, given the fact that they played them before the playoffs started and they lost by 21, you know, but you come out there, you lose game one, a close game one, um, which is, you know, maybe not the worst thing in the world. And then you build off of that in a, in a game two victory where the, the Bucks suffer a massive, massive blow, losing Chris Middleton for the series and probably for the playoffs um, in a couple of weeks. Not easy to heal from uh, leg injuries. Just in general with the Bulls, you know, it's, it's a really interesting position that I don't think either of us anticipated them being in. Uh, they've built themselves a definite spot to win the series against a Milwaukee team that I think you could say, Oh, like this is the team that's going to win, win it all this year. Uh, if there was any team to pick out of the East, I think they were probably the one, right? Yeah, I, I thought so. I honestly thought this was going to be the most lopsided series that we were going to see in the first round in the East, just because as you mentioned, Milwaukee's had so much success against the Bulls head to head and the Bulls hadn't won a game in Milwaukee since 2017, which was something I was telling everybody while watching these first two games. I was just so skeptical to see it just because it had been so long, but you know, game one, the Bulls played really strong defense, but struggled to score. I think both teams really struggled to, to score in that game, but kept it competitive. And then, yeah, in game two, they were able to knock them off and, and get a win in Milwaukee, as I said, first time since 2017. So, you know, I think this could be a longer series than we maybe initially thought. It's been nice to see guys like Nikola Vucevic and DeMar DeRozan, you know, some veterans that, you know, have played great basketball in the regular season for a long time. DeRozan's even been good in the playoffs, but they've really kind of been showing out. And I think Vucevic specifically has kind of been a, a tough matchup for Milwaukee to kind of keep up on, you know, just a big, good ability to shoot from the outside as well as rebound and finish inside. So he's been a kind of a nice guy to be following for the Bulls. And yeah, they've really kind of just bought in that, you know, team defense, Alex Caruso kind of thing where, hey, we're all, we're all trying to just stop Giannis 
honest, it's, it's got to be a team effort. So, you know, they've been playing pretty competitive. So it'll be interesting to see that series shift back to Chicago. You know, not willing to say that I think the Bulls will be winning this series still. I, I certainly definitely expect Milwaukee to come out on the winning side, even albeit if they uh, lose a couple of their uh, top players with Middleton and Portis who got injured in that game too. So I think that it's been competitive and a pleasant surprise to see the Bulls playing as good as they have so far. Yeah, I mean, you look at Chicago. Chicago is a team that is just uh, maybe like more nitty gritty. Just they're going to fight you. They're going to grind. They're going to play. And I think, you know, a lot of that comes from Alex Caruso. The addition of Caruso from, you know, my Lakers to your Bulls has been there you go. just, you know, a beautiful thing to see. It's nice to see a guy like Alex Caruso who doesn't look like he should be out there working as hard as he does. Um, he's just an athletic monster. He doesn't look like an athletic dude. And then he gets out there and he plays just yeah. ridiculously high pressure basketball, like every single second he's on the court. And I think that's like, like a fan favorite mentality. almost. It almost feels to me, Donnie, like Alex Caruso was a mistake. And I say that in the most <laughs> complimentary way, like Alex Caruso, he should not be actually making as big of an impact as he is. And he's legitimately like one of the top players on the floor uh, just because of his intensity on defense. And, you know, sometimes he finishes on a nice play or makes a nice pass. And you're like, damn, Alex Caruso, like it almost seems like he shouldn't be this good, but he's legitimately game after game competing and, and playing good basketball. Yeah, I think the thing with Caruso, too, is, like, his whole career has been basically just him betting against his own ability, like, you know, saying, I can do this, I can grind. It's a guy that came in the league very late. I think he came in the league for his first game was at 24, mm -hmm. which is so unusual given the fact that NBA players, you know, you see 19-year-olds in the league very, very right. regularly. So I just think in general, like, the whole, like, outperforming what the expectation is, it's, it's a real thing that you should look at with Alex Caruso and be like, yeah, that's a guy I can get behind. Yeah, why not? Uh, I think here we can shift over to the Western Conference, which has been much more competitive, I would say, uh, all things considered, starting off with a, a Suns-Pelican series where we've seen some big injuries already in the playoffs, but I don't think any's big, any bigger than Devin Booker, who is quite clearly the best player on the Phoenix Suns, in my opinion. Obviously, there's no, there's no slight to a guy like Chris Paul, who has been doing this for 15 years and has been great at what he does, but I don't think anybody in the Suns scores anywhere near as well as Devin Booker does. And I think this could be a really, really detrimental loss to them, given the fact that it feels like, and just watching the game the other night, it feels like the Pelicans are playing totally off of just like vibes. We're just grinding here. We're going, we're doing our thing. Brandon Ingram looked like Kevin Durant, like, which, which was the comparison coming out of college. Everybody's like, oh, this is, this is the guy. He's going to be the next coming of KD. Hasn't really happened yet, but he had, what I would say is probably the best game of his career. And to steal a game when, uh, obviously, Devin Booker injury does not help at all in Phoenix. But to have a game stolen from you as the Phoenix Suns, you have to be thinking like, oh, we're, we're in dire straits. We're, we're down real bad right now. Yeah, definitely unfortunate that uh, Booker had that hamstring strain. Seems like he'll be out, you know, a couple games in this series if he even is able to come back at all. Obviously, hope so. But we'll see. You know, I think for the Suns, I, I definitely agree with you that Booker is certainly their top guy, go-to guy, best scorer. But I think they are definitely a team that's kind of built on their depth a little bit. I definitely got, like guys like Mikael Bridges that still in the starting lineup, DeAndre Aiden, but even on their bench, Cam Johnston and Jay Crowder, I feel like they give them solid minutes that, you know, as a collective group, they could be able to make up for it. And not that New Orleans will kind of go away easy since they won a game on the road, but I still think Phoenix has enough where they should be able to still win this series, even if they are without Booker for a couple games. But yeah, I feel like New Orleans, they just 
just kind of put together some pieces, guys they, you know, had previously traded away. Now we're seeing them start to come up. A guy like Brandon Ingram is certainly a good example of that. So, yeah, it was definitely surprising to see them win a game on the road and unfortunate with the Booker injury. But I still like Phoenix overall in the series, even if they do, uh, even if they are without Devin Booker for a little bit. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think if there is any team that can do it, it's like it's nice to have a Chris Paul type figure running the point. Uh, And, you know, he can definitely take over a game from time to time. Uh, I think, you know, it's interesting to me to see not only Phoenix being close, but we also saw Memphis, Minnesota, which is a, a series that I don't think anybody was really like talking about. It's it's not a, a super exciting matchup. Let's be realistic here. It's like the Grizzlies are good, but, you know, it's, it's John Morant or bust for the most part. Obviously, they have good players on the team like Desmond Bain has been very, very uh, he's a contributor every single time he's on the court. But we saw a very interesting first two games, uh, pretty much back and forth. They kind of grinded them out, uh, not really close. And then game three comes around, and we're talking about this is a Minnesota team that put up 39 in the first quarter, pretty much dominating, up 18. And then at halftime, they're still up nine. They took a big lead in the third quarter. And then the fourth quarter, they outscored by 25 and ended up losing the game by nine. First off, you give up a 26 point lead in a playoff game. Your coach should be fired. Um, you should be basically rebuilding the entire team. You look bad. You look really bad. And on, you know, th- there were some, some mentions on social media, Carl F. A. Towns saying, uh, and when they were up big, Oh, you're back, you're in Minnesota. Now this is different. And it turns out Minnesota was not different at all. They blew a massive league. Carl F. A. Towns had eight points uh, on yeah. the team that it's his team. This is, this is his guy. Um, but the, the John Morant triple-double, Desmond Bain with 26, and you blow a 26-point lead and end up losing by nine. Uh, the biggest slap in the face you could have in the playoffs is losing a game after you're up 26. Like, there's no, there's no argument there. Yeah, that one's definitely tough to come back from. And yeah, there was definitely some criticism of Cat after that game for, you know, not having as strong a performance as we're accustomed to, you know, just kind of a, an interesting series. I mean, two of the youngest teams in the NBA, you know, uh, like you said, maybe not like the most, you know, front of the line top series we're putting on, but it's been fun basketball to watch. I mean, Anthony Edwards has, has certainly been uh, an enjoyable player to, to be following in the playoff run for Minnesota. But, you know, if you just kind of had a couple of different games uh, on the Timberwolves side, you mentioned, you know, blowing a lead, but, you know, they scored 130 in the first game, total offensive for and haven't been able to score more than 100 in the uh in games two and three so um you know i like memphis overall in the series but it's been exciting up pace tempo basketball so uh i almost kind of think of it as like like march madness on steroids kind of thing like it's just such young players athleticism all over and uh it's been uh it's actually been one of the series i've enjoyed watching so far uh, uh in the in the playoffs yeah definitely fair uh we can two more series to talk about one of them being golden state denver pretty much just I would say abysmal basketball, all things considered, for the Denver Nuggets, given the fact that you know they blew two games at home or I blew two games on the road pretty bad. They did not really play very well. Um, Steph Curry, Jordan Poole putting together some really awesome performances. Jordan Poole has the most points in his first three playoff games, other than Wilt Chamberlain in the history of the Golden State Warriors. With they have Steph Curry on the team, he's been pretty good. Um, so there's that, and then you have a game three come around where it feels like you're competitive. Uh, you're leading going in the fourth quarter, you blow a lead in the fourth quarter, and then you're down three zero. There's no point in return. Obviously we talked about this prefacing the series. Uh, yeah. You're missing guys like Jamal Murray's out. Jamal Murray's missed the entire year. Uh, does not help. It, at a point for Denver is it's like, it's gotta be so depressing having this be your reality. You run into the golden state warriors, a healthy uh, maybe not the best rendition they've had, but the best edition of the team we've seen in a long time. Like, 
it's got to be a depressing being a Denver Nuggets fan. Yeah, I would say, I mean, even tough for Nikola Jokic in, uh, in particular, you know, he had such an incredible season, of course, and, uh, you know, running into Golden State, you know, they're finally coming back around. It's been a couple of years since they've kind of been running things, but, uh, you know, they're obviously still as much of a force as we're going to find, you know, hanging in there as a three seed, but I think as good a contender as, uh, you know, we're going to see this year to win it all. So I like Golden State a lot for sure. You know, they've been putting up a ton of points as they do. So, um, yeah, they're going to be a tough out and, uh, yeah, just kind of a tough matchup for the Nuggets, um, given that they're kind of short staff with some injuries and, you know, matching up with, uh, you know, some superstar power at the top uh, against Golden State. Yeah, definitely fair. And I think we can move on to the final matchup. The one that I think both you and I will agree on has been one of the more interesting storylines, uh, given the fact that the Dallas Mavericks playing the Utah Jazz without Luka Doncic, who I think you could rationalize as a top five player in the NBA. Pretty much no argument there. Uh, and after blowing game one, Dallas had to be thinking, oh, like this is this is not good. We're we're at home. We finally got uh, we, had, we had a little bit of, uh, you know, we, we got bailed a little bit by a, a what I would say is a mediocre West. Uh, they ended up with home uh, 52 and 30, which is, I guess, not that bad. But, you know, you lose game one. You're thinking, oh, this is bad. And Luca hasn't played yet. We're up to game three and Dallas has won two straight, including taking one last night in Utah. Uh, a game that first off, let's just be realistic. Again, you should never be blowing games at halftime. Like it, Dallas was up so big last night at half. It, it was like kind of ridiculous. And we saw Utah really crawl back in the third and a little bit in the fourth quarter. But if you're Utah right now and Luka Doncic is, is potentially coming back, maybe next game, you have to be thinking like, Oh, we're, we're, we're in the shitter here. We're, we're down bad. Yeah, that's been an interesting one for sure for me to follow. You know, I think for Utah, you know, I would have liked to see them kind of take the initiative. Hey, we're there without Luka Doncic. So let's really kind of step on it, see if we can win some of these games early in the series, hopefully knock them out before Doncic come back at all. Hasn't been the case uh, through three games so far, about half the series um, with Dallas grabbing the last two. So I think that there's a lot of optimism if you are Dallas that, hey, we've been able to win some games without Doncic. If we get this guy back, we could be contenders for the championship. I, I think they would like to think that. So, yeah, if they're able to move on from Utah and say they take on, you know, the Suns who have a banged up Devin Booker themselves, you know, that could be an interesting matchup where maybe Dallas could kind of capitalize and, and pull off a couple more upsets if they can keep this thing going. But only halfway there so far with knocking off the Jazz, that'll still be a tough task. I think this series will go six or seven uh, once it's all said and done. Yeah, you know, uh, Eric Jensen are the only Utah person that I know exists. <laughs> the um, only one that exists. Yeah, he, he was really happy last night. He got a couple of awards for sports writing at the Daily Utah Chronicle, and then he came home to watch the Utah Jazz. Absolutely just, just, he was short-lived happiness. He was not thrilled. Yeah, you know, he was, he said, he, he said, oh, I won these, I won these awards. And I was like, okay, let's go. And then he said, not bad, not bad at all, but the Jazz fucked on me. And I was like, yeah, you know, unfortunately, Eric, this is what happens when you're a sports fan of playoff, uh, playoff sports. Only one person wins, only one team wins, and the rest of them will leave you sad, probably. Um, if you're a Utah Jazz fan, you got to be used to the sadness, right? Like you have to be thinking like, this is a Utah Jazz team that will probably never win a title in your lifetime. And that's just that's a, the sad reality of how sports works. Uh, the Utah Jazz cannot compete with, uh, you know, the bigger market teams probably. You got to realize, you know, that this is solely to Eric and Utah Jazz fans, like stop watching basketball. And that's my, that's my take here. Unless you have the number one seed and you win 73 games in a year, you're not winning. So just like give it up. All I got to say on that is Carl Malone ain't walking through that door. Carl Malone is not. There's absolutely not. Certainly not. He's not. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, 
you know, Utah Jazz fans, you're not out, but you're, you're, you're down. You're, you're looking bad right now. And, you know, Luka Doncic comes around, he's going to drop 40 on your head. And then you're going to really be feeling pain. Eric Sweet texted me like, man, that Luka Doncic guy is really good. I was like, thank you, man. I really, really agree. These <laughs> breaking are, news. Uh, these are breaking news, uh, Eric Jensen. But from there, we have a couple questions from Trey, the man, the myth, the legend himself. He's and back. I'll be honest. I have no idea anything about the first question. So this is an all, this is an all RK question. Uh, Trey asks thoughts on Connor McCaffrey coming back. What are we thinking? RK? Connor McCaffrey. This is huge. Yeah. I'll give you some context here, Donnie. So we're talking university of Iowa men's basketball right now. Connor McCaffrey's son of head coach, Fran McCaffrey. He's the older son. They have another son, uh, Patrick McCaffrey. So there's multiple coaches, sons on the Iowa basketball team. Great. He's coming back for another year. I mean, he's a, he's a pretty mediocre player. He also played baseball in his time at Iowa. I honestly like forgot he still had eligibility, but that COVID thing is still around and a thing. He had like a medical redshirt year. So he's got his sixth year of eligibility and he's coming back. He even had like a senior day presentation. They like handed him the Jersey kind of thing uh-huh. in the last game. And now he's still coming back. So that's not weird at all, but Does yeah. Does that mean he gets uh, two senior days? That, that works. Yes. I mean, I don't think they like, like his actual senior day. I don't think they're like, Oh, we're just getting out the same thing we gave you last year. Like he's also the coach's son. Like, you know what I mean? It's just a funny situation all in all. But yeah, I mean, Connor McCaffrey's coming back. I'm again, low on Iowa basketball, but I was very low on Iowa basketball last year after they lost Wieskamp and Garza and they ended up winning the big 10 regular season tournament, which was right before they choked in March madness, which is all that really only matters. But yeah, I mean, Connor McCaffrey will be another body the Hawkeyes next year but yeah I mean I, I I just have such a hard time raising my expectations on Iowa basketball because I know the pending doom that March will hit and they will lose to a seed and a team like Richmond who is way way worse than them but they still manage to lose I used to think they were only matching up with teams that were more athletic than them when they would lose and that wasn't even the case against Richmond so yeah I, I have lost a lot of hope for Iowa basketball, but my blind optimism, maybe next March will come around and I will be like a three or four seed and Connor McCaffrey will be a starter and I'll be fired up. But yeah, there you go. Connor McCaffrey coming back sixth year. So yeah, I mean, I, mean, I can't say I'm fired up, but it's just kind of a thing that's happening. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, I think in your fifth year, you should be putting up more than two and a half points and two and a half rebounds, 1.9 assists on 34% from the field. Um, yeah. He was a rotational player at best. The big thing about Connor McCaffrey, I remember going to games while I was a student, everyone always loved his assist to turnover ratio. The, the niche community of Iowa Hawkeyes will, will definitely understand that reference right there. They, everyone just loves Connor McCaffrey because he has a great assist to turnover ratio. So that's why he's a all knowing God that gets his minutes. Yeah. I'm seeing it. He's like, it's like a four or five assist turnover ratio. That's great what for it him, is. obviously, but, but everything else, uh, you know, not a whole lot of production. Not good. He can't shoot. So that's a problem. You, you know, congratulations on being the coach's son. That's really just an accomplishment that, that sure. has carried you through six years in Iowa, you know, <laughs> proud of you. Future um, coach. Yeah. I, I, that sounds about right. You know, he, what are you, is he playing for the NBA? Like, what are you thinking when you go to, no. like, you're a six year player. Like the chances are, you're probably not, you're probably not making he, the, the big leagues. I he's definitely not going to the National Basketball Association, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, he would have had to put up um he put up zero points against Richmond in 23 minutes as a guard. So I'm thinking that's probably not ideal. Um, but we have a final question for Trey that I can actually answer. Uh, but we'll start off with you, RK. What's the biggest surprise or some of the biggest surprises so far of the NBA playoffs? Obviously, we're about a week in, and as discussed, you know, there's been some interesting, uh, interesting stuff going on. 
Yeah, I think certainly the Bulls have surprised me. Them, uh, you know, being competitive with the Bucks in Game One, and obviously taking Game Two on the road was certainly a big surprise for me in that one. And then, I mean, just surprises with kind of the injuries that have come come up. Of course, you know, we're still without Doncic. Devin Booker getting hurt is unfortunate for sure. So that's obviously something you never love to see. But um, yeah, I think those are kind of some of the big surprises so far for me that the Bulls have, you know, to this point won a game, and uh, you know, won a game on the road nonetheless was uh, was definitely a big surprise for me through the uh, first week or so of the playoffs yeah I think that's uh pretty much covering all of it I would say one thing I think that it's shocking that Denver Nuggets have not won a game and look to be swept uh you know we're obviously we're seeing Nikola Jokic he put up 25 10 and 6 in the first game 26 11 and 4 in the second game and 37 18 and 5 in the third game usually when you have a performer a big man doing things like that you're gonna win one of those three games um unfortunately for him the rest of his team is mediocre um without you know, healthy players. So that's kind of how that goes. I think it's going to be very interesting. I think in a week from now, we're going to be talking about some things um, that we were wrong on. I, I'm sure somebody is going to shock us, whether it's the Utah Jazz or somebody else along those lines. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. I enjoy basketball playoffs. I don't enjoy the NBA regular season. Uh, hence why, you know, we didn't really talk about it much, but we keep up. We, we do our job and that's all we're looking for here. Yeah, I've actually been excited to watch the NBA playoffs. Like I said, I feel like it's a little bit more open. And then through a couple of games, I'm like, ah, oh, maybe the Warriors are just going to steamthroll everyone again. I don't know. But it's been fun to watch. Like I said, even like the Memphis series, which I know Trey is tuned into as a big Grizzlies guy. That's been a fun series against Minnesota, honestly. Like really good basketball. Like I said, super up pace, up tempo, young players. So it's actually been really, really fun to watch. And, uh, and I've enjoyed it more than I expected to, for sure. Yeah, definitely think that's fair. Um, next week, RK, just before we uh, exit out of here, we have the NFL draft coming up. I'm sure we will have some sort of NFL, you know, maybe a mock in the first round, something like that. Or at least, you know, we run through some of the, the picks. Obviously, when you get to pick 27 in the first round, you're just like, ah, you know, there's, there's probably no way you're predicting that one correctly uh, with how risers and fallers work. But I think we can almost guarantee some NFL content next week. How does that sound? Yeah, I mean, I've been hopping on Eric's pod, the end zone pod, and and you, you run Eric's pod. pod now. You you are yeah. Every Eric week. literally asked me to host his own podcast without him on it. That was a first. <laughs> I, that's never happened to me before. But you know, our podcast here, the Rooting on the Horn, folks. I mean, yeah, you guys know I'm a, I'm a draft nerd through and through. So I can't wait to chop it up and uh, you know see who the Eagles are going to take, the Giants are going to take. We both have multiple first round picks, Donnie. That's super exciting. There's optimism Scary. that our teams can be good in the near future. Scary. I love to see it. So yeah, you, you guys know NFL draft literally probably, I, I think it's fair to say it's my favorite day of the year, honestly. Like I, I think at this point I, I've said it's one of my favorite days of the year enough. It's literally my favorite day of the year. I love the NFL draft. Yeah. You know, instead of like Christmas or like one of those days, his birthday, he just enjoys the NFL draft. And that's what that's Tell me the Eagles are taking in the first round. That's, that's my Christmas present. Yeah. I mean, especially when you have multiple picks, uh, both of our teams have a, a lot of assets in the top hundred or so of the draft, which yeah. is, you know, Interesting, given the fact that the Giants usually blow those picks pretty regularly, but we have, new we have a new, new front office, so I'm thinking, yes. ah, oh, we might, we might actually pick Optimism. somebody to play. Optimism, scary. <laughs> you know, we, we, don't, we don't want Eli Apple. We want somebody that's relevant. So uh, yeah. that's, that's what we're going with here. But yeah, RK, you want to uh, you want to outro us out here? Yeah, of course. Obviously, I mean, we just talked about previewing the NFL draft. I mean, Sheck West, he'll, uh, he'll share his thoughts on the NFL draft when he's on our podcast NFL next fan. week. Massive. Of course. Oh, the biggest. He's the only one bigger. He's the only person, a bigger fan of the NFL draft than me, actually. So he's, he's really looking forward to coming on next week, of course. So <laughs> shout out to Sheck West. 
he'll be on. And uh, shout out to you guys. End of the podcast, folks. You guys made it through. It's kind of actually just a chill week in sports. You know, we've had some baseball going on as well. Of course, we had our friend Dan on last week to kind of chop it up on our, our thoughts there and the fantasy baseball street. So definitely check that one out if you guys missed it. But yeah, just kind of cruising through another week in the world of sports, hockey getting closer to the playoffs, basketball underway in the playoffs. So it's definitely a fun time of year once those get going in the postseason. So we're glad you guys are here for it. Thanks, everybody, again, and to the podcast, folks. You guys are the best. Take it easy, everybody. Peace out. Peace.